0: you know, when I looked at the studies on ketamine, it appeared that, um, you know, this was like incredibly efficacious, uh, very few contraindications to other medicines. And, uh, and also too, it seems to, you know, work very, very quickly, which is, which, which is great. Um, so because of that, you know, I started prescribing for, for my patients. Um, a lot of the studies on ketamine will be with say like IV infusions. So the way that I do it, I actually do it, um, with, with capsules orally. So huh. it's a very, very low, low dose. So, you know, with, with ketamine, I find like in the classical sense, I mean, this is changing now, but a lot of people sort of use it as almost like a macro dose of like a psychedelic where like they'll like do an injection and then they'll sort of, you know, kind of get the benefits of that and then hope that it'll you know, last a long time. And for some people, you know, they, they may just be going through a difficult period and maybe they just need that one blast to kind of rip them out of it and, and they can kind of, you know, get back to normal functioning. Um, but for other people, you know, uh, unfortunately that, that just doesn't always, always happen. So having like a small amount, that's like continuous is what I do. So hmm. you know, some of my patients will take it, uh, once a week. some will take it, you know, last once a month, but I have other patients that take it, you know, two or three times a week, just, just a low dose. Um, and that seems to be, you know, incredibly efficacious overall for, for treating depression.
1: Welcome to episode 149 of my podcast. I'm Michaela Peterson. Today's guest is Dr. Mike Hart, founder of ready to go medical clinic. You might recognize him from the cannabis debate Joe Rogan had on a while back. Dr. Hart is one of the world's foremost experts on plant-based medicine and the founder of Ready to Go Medical Clinic. We spoke about treating depression with ketamine, treating PTSD with CBD with dosages, optimizing testosterone and estrogen and other hormones, medical cannabis, and the consequences of the natural hormonal decline that every one of us is going to experience at some point. This is a must watch for people interested in optimizing health. I hope you enjoy this episode. There's a lot of useful counterintuitive information here. Everything we discuss still falls under the category of drugs, so be careful with the information. If you're severely depressed, I still think drastic dietary intervention is what's needed. Low carb can be extremely, extremely helpful. My dad tried ketamine and had a terrible reaction, so be careful out there and do your research before jumping into anything. It can definitely help some people, though. This episode was brought to you by NordVPN. Cyber criminals have very little incentive to reveal themselves, if any incentive at all. Even if we completely avoid fishy links and malware, most websites are full of trackers that secretly follow you across the internet. That's where NordVPN comes in, with state-of-the-art encryption that keeps you safe from hackers, malware, and other sneaky threats lurking all over the internet. NordVPN also lets you pretend you live anywhere in the world so you can access content from whatever country. Wanna buy nootropics from China? NordVPN. Traveling but still want to watch the content you're used to? NordVPN. Trying to sneak into American Netflix from Canada? NordVPN. NordVPN never buffers or crashes with over 5,300 servers around the world, which translates into connection speeds of up to 6,730 megabits per second. That's insane. Take advantage of their exclusive limited time offer today and see what full online protection really feels like. Grab your NordVPN deal today over at nordvpn.com slash TMPP or use promo code TMPP, the Michaela Peterson podcast, I hate that acronym, for 61% off their premium plan and their free anti-malware feature, all with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only at nordvpn.com slash TMPP or using the promo code TMPP. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Mike Hart, welcome to my podcast.
0: Thanks for having me on, Mikkel. Really uh, excited to be here today.
1: I haven't recorded a podcast in maybe... It might have been three months or two months. Really? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a
0: long time for you.
1: It's a really long time for me. It's a really long time for me, so I'm glad to be doing it again.
0: How come you uh, you took a little break?
1: I've had... I'm, okay, I think I've told you this already. I moved to Nashville yeah. and... Nashville is destroying my life. It is beautiful. <laughs> the people here are amazing. The music is good. The weather is good. And there are trees everywhere. And so I've been like, my asthma is just out of control. I haven't had, I, the last time oh. I had asthma, I think I was 12 or 13. Okay. So, so that, and then I'll just a ton of work, but I'm really, do
0: you have like seasonal allergies thing? kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I'm allergic to everything. Like a okay. diet, like anything with fur, except for rabbits. Okay. For some reason. And uh okay. everything like that has pollen.
0: Okay. Yeah. One yeah. thing that's really good for um allergic rhinitis, it's natural, is uh spirulina, which is uh, you know, just an over the counter natural supplement. There's some pretty good studies on that that show it's pretty effective in reducing uh, symptoms. Seems like you might've experimented with it and had a bad experience.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's the other thing. I also can't take any medication. So I've tried, I try, I used to take spirulina. Okay. I used to take satyrazine every day, like double strength satyrazine every day. And that helped. And then, and then something switched when I like cleaned up my diet and got off of immune suppressants. And now, every type of medication out there just makes me, makes a guy get this like skin crawly sensation, which is really unpleasant. So I just suffer. So I'm just suffering for now, but anyway, I'm fine. Everything's good. And I don't want to talk about that. So let's give the audience a brief background. Who are you and what is it you do?
0: Sure. So, uh, like I said, I'm, at the beginning of the show, I'm Dr. Mike Carter, originally I'm from, uh, St. John's Newfoundland and I find your dad actually, uh, kind of gives a shout out to Newfies all the time, particularly Rex Murphy. They seem like they're pretty good buddies, Yeah. but, um, yeah, Damn. so I, uh, I did a, a degree in uh, nutritional biochemistry then I went to medical school and I uh, did family medicine residency and I've been practicing now for, uh, just over nine years and, uh, have a family practice. I also do uh, quite a bit of cannabis medicine and I prescribe ketamine as well for a lot of patients. And I've been published for that a couple of times. also been published for my work with, with cannabis as well. Um, I wrote a book on, um, cannabis and, uh, PTSD called friendly fire, uh, why vets are are ditching pills and lighting up to treat PTSD, uh, that's on Amazon. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, most of the medical sort of background about me and I've always been very, very active, uh, in terms of my overall lifestyle. So, um, you know, I keep a very, very tight diet and, uh, always like reading the latest nutrition, that kind of, that kind of thing, uh, out six to seven days a week, uh, do a lot of, uh, strength training. I do a lot of running and I do a lot of MMA. So between those three, I'm kind of doing something every day.
1: Okay. Sounds like my kind of doctor.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, so I guess we should start off your work with cannabis and PTSD. Sure. What is it? What is it that you've seen? <laughs>
0: So, um, when I basically started, uh, becoming a doctor, like when I was officially licensed in 2013, then in 2014 was when this new MMPR program came into Canada. And so that basically just made it a lot easier for, um, physicians to be able to prescribe cannabis because the only way before that was someone called the MMAR program, where basically you would just, uh, designate someone to grow cannabis for the patient or the, or the, or the patient could grow cannabis for themselves. Yeah which is obviously a very, you know, cumbersome operation. I mean, not many people are going to know, you know, how to grow cannabis, you know, how to get the right stuff kind of thing. So, you know, I wasn't really around for that program, but the new program, you know, it's a lot easier. We have licensed producers, you know, that are very similar to, you know, pharmaceutical drug companies. And so, you know, they're, they're, you know, held to a high standard. So it's much easier to get good quality cannabis and then to make sure that, you know, it's high CBD versus say high THC or if you need something in between. So it just makes it a lot easier. And then in terms of how I got into cannabis and, and PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder of people who don't know, it's really, really difficult, uh, to treat. And, uh, even now, so, you know, like a lot of the studies show that like there's really minimal, uh, effectiveness and a lot of, uh, overall, uh, sort of like mainstream medication. So SSRIs, SNRIs, those types of, of medications. Um, and a lot of my patients, particularly veteran patients, were saying that they were just getting a ton of relief with cannabis, and so um, you know when I looked. Uh, into it, you know, I find that a lot of patients that are using THC at night, and a lot, and it doesn't always have to be THC, but THC at night can really help reduce overall nightmares, and that's what's really, you know, one of the worst symptoms of of PTSD is having nightmares at night and then not being able to sleep, as in, you know, as everyone knows who's listening to this, when you don't sleep, like everything just gets, you know, so much worse. So if you're depressed or if you're anxious or even you have pain, it doesn't even, you know, be need to be related to mental health uh, and you don't sleep well often times like that just just you know exacerbates everything and makes everything worse um, the next day so i found the thc or a combination of thc and cbd to be to be helpful um for sleep for a lot of patients so then mm. cbd is really good in the uh in the daytime And, uh, the reason being too, that, that it's so good for, for PTSD patients is there's one study and I know it is on, on rats, but I've, I've seen it in, in humans as well. Uh, I mean, we do need more randomized control trials on it, but, um, it showed that it can actually decrease learned fear. And that's what, you know, PTSD is, is that it's learned fear, you know? So like a lot of my patients, they're afraid to like go to the grocery store, you know, just because like, they just find it to be so stressful and so overwhelming and like oftentimes they get their food and then they kind of just leave their, their food in the cart and they have to leave oh. because they just find it to be, you know, so stressful and, and really overwhelming. It's so like, no one's like born afraid to go to the grocery store. That's obviously something that's like a learned. So, um, you know, through using CBD, you know, you can actually decrease that learned fear response. And a lot of patients have really, really benefited from using CBD in the daytime to decrease that learned fear response, decrease anxiety, anxiety, decrease social anxiety, just kind of get back them uh, to like, you know, better overall functioning.
1: Interesting. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, what kind of dose do you generally recommend for people who are experiencing, let, let's start with the night portion. If you're sure. trying to, if you're trying to improve your overall quality of sleep, what would you generally recommend for people who are experiencing nightmares?
0: sure so um, if you have nightmares generally speaking you do need some THC in order to get in order to get rid of those nightmares um, you know there are some patients like say if you're totally naive to cannabis you've never used it some patients can uh, get a good night's sleep by using just CBD but it's really the THC overall that seems to improve um, nightmares so if you're you know just starting out using um, THC usually around five milligrams of THC. THC five milligrams of CBD is, you know, a pretty decent dose, um, in in order to, in order to uh, start the the treatment. But oftentimes that dose does need to be increased. Um, and I always get patients to use a combination of THC and CBD. Um, the reason being is because THC can be really helpful for helping people fall asleep, but oftentimes they do wake up if they don't have CBD on board. And so, um, it's good to have, you know, a combination of both for those cannabinoids and now there's actually another cannabinoid um, that's also commercially available kind of Called the CBN, and CBN hmm. has also been helpful uh, to be to has been proven to be helpful for, for sleep as well. Again, we don't have a ton of like like randomized control trials on this right now, unfortunately. But um, you know, just through anecdotal evidence, and you know, through seeing my patients, you know, I can say that there's definitely uh, an efficacious effect by using CBN with those other cannabinoids um, as well. So hopefully, that answered uh, most of your question.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard of CBN. Um, do people who use this combination or THC at night for a long period of time, do they end up having any withdrawal symptoms if they stop?
0: So THC absolutely can be associated with withdrawal symptoms. And that's why I try to get patients to use a combination of THC and, and CBD um, instead of just using you know, pure uh, THC. And um, the reason being, again, is because CBD can negate a lot of the negative effects of the THC, Mm. and because of that, generally people find it to be you know much much easier to say come off of a combination of THC and CBD as opposed to um, say just high THC. So you you do need to be you know careful about it. And um, but on that note too, you know there have been some really good studies that show that there's virtually no um, withdrawal effect, like at all from using fairly high doses of CBD for a long period of time. Um, nice. and, then, and then coming off them uh, completely, but you can't say the same thing about, about THC. Okay. So you have to that's be careful good. with that's that. To you know. Know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. But then for people who like, I only became aware of withdrawal from, I I have no idea how I really didn't know. I only knew that pain medication caused withdrawal. I knew that there was alcohol withdrawal. I knew heroin withdrawal, which is like kind of like pain medication withdrawal. I had no idea that there were withdrawals from basically anything your body can get acclimatized to, which makes sense. But for some reason I'd been taught, oh, don't worry if it's, you know, an SSRI or an antidepressant or even a sleeping pill. It's not like a problem.
0: Yeah. Anything that's like psychoactive, you know, can cause some, uh, dependency and, um, you know, psychoactive, like sometimes that word, um, doesn't get used appropriately because, you know, caffeine is psychoactive. Like it makes a change in your overall mental state. Right. So anything that's like psychoactive can, um, can, can induce, you know, some type of, uh, you know, addictive, um, potential, but we tend to use the word psychoactive with some that gets you like high, yeah, so like you know THC. Um, but in fact, you know CBD is in fact psychoactive because it does change your overall state of being. Hmm. Yeah. So anything like that, that's, that's psychoactive like that really changes, but something like, you know, like vitamin D or something like, you know, um, you know, B vitamins, like those things are not psychoactive, right? So you're not going to have a withdrawal effect. Of course, you shouldn't stop taking them. Vitamin D's. so important. Uh, you know, and it's good to have high levels of, of B vitamins as well. Um, but they're not psychoactive substances as opposed to say like caffeine or THC or, or CBD.
1: Okay, cool. That, that definitely makes sense. Um, speaking of, okay, well actually no, let's start with this first. Say sure. you're experiencing PTSD during the day, like you used the example, yeah. too worried about going into a grocery store or, or getting food. What kind of treatment, like CBD, do you recommend for those types of people?
0: Yeah. So again, I try to get patients to just use CBD in the in, in the day. The reason being, again, because I'm trying to mitigate you know dependency on on THC. Now, if yeah. some patients, if they're in like a really really bad state, you know, they may in fact need a little bit of THC to get them through that uh, you know short period of time. But in terms of CBD, um, I usually start off with about 10 to 20 milligrams for, for, for patients. Um, and this usually has to be done two to three times a day. So the half-life mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of all over the place in, in the literature of it's somewhere between four to eight hours. I find a lot of patients find that it's tends to wear off somewhere between four to six hours. Although you have other people who just use it once a day and they find it to be effective. Um, so it really does, you know, depend upon the, the overall individual, but generally speaking, speaking about 10 to 20 milligrams, two to three times a day seems to be, you know, fairly effective for people for reducing the overall symptoms. But, you know, some people need like 50 milligrams, you know, some people need, um, you know, even more like closer to, to a hundred, you know, uh, a couple times a day. Um, so it's, uh, it's some, it wow. does, does vary.
1: Okay. And do you think that's just differences in brain chemistry, the difference in, in how they absorb it?
0: Differences in brain chemistry, also too, just differences in the overall severity of the of the okay. disease. You know, like some people, um, you know, you can have a little bit of PTSD, or you can have a lot of PTSD. And people who have a lot of PTSD, you know, they're going to need a lot more medication than someone who just has, uh, you know, a little bit.
1: That was crazy. I don't think I've talked about this at all, um, but when Dad got really sick and he was in a hospital in Russia. He was in really bad shape. And I, I've i had really bad experiences in hospitals. So before he and my mom got sick, I had um, panic attacks going into hospitals. So I never had panic attacks going into hospitals. I got better, my autoimmunity went into remission. And then whenever I went to hospital, I'd have a panic attack. And I was like, I'm not someone that that happens to. I don't understand what's going on. So that's kind of where I was. And then my mom got cancer and I had to go visit her in a hospital. And then my dad got really sick, and I ended up, after, um, after we went to Russia, I ended up with flashbacks from the hospital in Russia, and I was like, huh, I'd like, I, I, I guess this is PTSD. So I was having these intensely vivid nightmares where I'd lay down and I'd have like ex- extremely vivid nightmares of these hosp- this hospital in Russia, um, and I think that was partly because my dad was still sick. So it's not like it was something that happened and that was over. It was still continuing. Uh, and it definitely interrupted my sleep. And I, I just kind of like, it It went away eventually. It took about a year of nightmares. So I didn't, ta- I don't think I talked about that because it was just, I was like, eh, I guess that's just the thing that happens now. But I was like, I didn't realize you could kind of induce it even if you haven't, You know, gone to war or something. If you just traumatize yourself, then that can just happen to you.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's actually a very good point because um, you know we do tend to associate PTSD just with people who have you know been in combat and in, 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 in the military or in the army, but um, you know that's that's just not the case. Like people who have been in really bad car accidents, you know, rape victims, um, you know, really you know poor traumatic um, childhood experiences. Like there's a lot of different things that can you know bring up uh, PTSD symptoms and. They all exhibit, you know, the same symptoms. So, like whether you, you know, have PTSD from, you know, being in Afghanistan and being at war, or whether you have PTSD from, you know, sexual abuse from from childhood, you know, they all tend to have the same same symptoms. So, in the daytime, you know, the big thing is hyper vigilance. You know, kind of like always like feeling like on edge. And a lot of you know people that have been in the army, you know, they they say you know will be like looking out their window and that kind of thing. Cause that's what they're used to. They're, they're, they're used to being very, very hypervigilant. Um, and then at nighttime again, you know, they, they, they tend to have nightmares, but again, that happens to someone, you know, whether they have, you know, uh, PTSD from, you know, really poor traumatic, uh, childhood experiences, uh, or from, you know, someone who's been in the army and everything in between, like everyone tends to exhibit very, very similar symptoms overall.
1: Do you think what THC does is it just puts your brain into a state that's calmer and so it can retrain you? It's like, Oh no, you're not exhibiting this stress reaction. You're calm. You're in a situation, but you're calm. And then you just eventually learn your way out of it.
0: There's definitely a little bit to that. A lot of it is really just like dissociating as well. So when you're like dissociated, things tend to like bother you less. And that's the mm. same thing in, and why it treats pain, because you know, if you have like knee pain, like the pain, you know, it isn't really coming from your knee. It's there's a signal from, from your knee going to your brain. That's telling you that you're in pain and it interrupts that signal. So you're more like dissociated. So you use, and it's, it's almost like the same thing. as like when you meditate or if you, you are reading a book or you're really into a TV show and you're just hyper-focused on that, then you're not focused on your pain or on, you know, uh, either mental pain or or chronic pain. So it's a, it's a, it's a distraction and that's that's And that distraction can be uh, very effective for reducing overall symptoms.
1: Interesting. Okay. Okay. Next question then. You mentioned vitamin D, uh, and I know a lot of people who are chronically ill, actually just a lot of people are low in vitamin D, whether or not they know it, especially in Canada, right? Yeah. Um, How do you recommend, like are the intramuscular injections of vitamin D, are those more effective or less effective than the oral form? What kind do you recommend people take?
0: Yeah. So I recommend people take the, uh, the oral form. Um, and the amount that I recommend is 500 IU's per 25 pounds of, of body weight, and then to get your levels, tested it, and then to adjust if necessary. So some people may need more than that. Like some people may, may need up to, you know, a thousand IU's for, for 25 pounds of body weight. Um, you know, I test a lot of people's vitamin D levels and I have a lot of patients come in who say, you know, I'm taking, you know, 2000 IU's a day, but yeah. I mean, when I test those, levels, you know, they still come back to be very, very low and that's not every patient, but you know, that's, that certainly is probably more than, um, than, than not. And, uh, and the other thing too, is you do have to take into account, like I said, um, your overall body weight, you know, cause it, it's a fat soluble vitamin. So, you know, your body weight is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to uh, affect how much um, vitamin D you absorb and how, and, and your overall levels. So you need to you um, know, use vitamin D based upon your body weight. So that's why I I recommend vitamin D based on body weight and not just, let's say, like an overall generalization.
1: Huh. And so what do you, what do you recommend for those people who can't get their numbers up, even if they're on high dose vitamin D?
0: Um, just to keep going, so I didn't really answer your question. Cause you kind of were asking about the intramuscular. I don't have any experience with that. Like I've never given an intramuscular, uh, vitamin D injection before. Um, you know, I've, I can't say I've ever really seen someone, you know, take uh, a ton of oral vitamin D and, and not have their levels, um, you know, increase as long as they are taking a sufficient amount. Um, so I don't know if it's like, you know, a necessary intervention for too many people. But I mean, if you used, you know, oral supplementation and your, you know, vitamin D levels didn't improve, then I think that would then would be a reasonable, you know, avenue to go to get your vitamin D levels up. But I've, I've never given an intramuscular uh, vitamin D injection. And I do find that, you know, people can get the appropriate levels just through oral supplementation.
1: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I have like, my family's just so strange with medical things that I was put on vitamin D when I was young, when I was very, very ill. Um, cause the, I was deficient with the autoimmune disorder and I was taking 10,000 IU a day. I did that for a year, nothing changed. And so then I started with the intramuscular and those hardly budged it, which makes me think it's, I just don't understand how that's possible at all.
0: Yeah, I, uh, that's a mystery to me as well. Uh, sorry, I can't, <laughs> I wasn't I much helped you on that one, but something for me to, uh, to research and, and, and learn about.
1: Just, uh, I don't know. Um, okay, let's, let's switch over. You mentioned ketamine, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you have a paper written about ketamine treatment. So can you describe what that looks like for people. I can just remember I went to this, what I now know was a sketchy high school in Toronto. And I, I like most of my experience watching people on ketamine was like done in a valley behind the subway, the teenagers on ketamine. Not, that was not, I was not involved in that, but I definitely saw that. So apparently there's a use for it that goes beyond ravine sketchiness.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to answer your question. It's one comment. Like I, that's the one drug where I just like, I don't understand how people want to use this recreationally. Like it just doesn't seem like it, it didn't would be, look, you know, it didn't look pretty. It was, it wasn't do. like,
1: it, it didn't look pretty. And like, it, you know, it's not like people, I have no idea, but there was a lot going on at that school.
0: Interesting. Well, it looks like you had an interesting high school. I definitely to did. Through, uh, <laughs> to ketamine, but uh, I got into prescribing ketamine about three years ago now, and uh, the reason being is because you know there's a lot of people out there uh, who do struggle with uh, treatment-resistant depression. So, you know, the the definition of that is that you fail on on two different SSRIs or two different kind of classical treatments. They might have even beefed it up to three. I'm not sure exactly, but that's the definition of treatment-resistant depression. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that, that do fit that criteria. So I wanted something else to offer. And, uh, you know, when I looked at the studies on ketamine, it appeared that, um, you know, this was like incredibly efficacious, uh, very few contraindications to other medicines. And, uh, and also too, it seems to, you know, work very, very quickly, which is, which, which is great. Um, so because of that, you know, I started prescribing for, for my patients. Um, a lot of the studies on ketamine will be with say like IV infusions. So yeah. the way that I do it, I actually do it. Um, um, with, with capsules orally. So it's a very, very low, low dose. So, you know, with, with ketamine, I find like in the classical sense, I mean, this is changing now, but a lot of people sort of use it as almost like a macro dose of like a psychedelic where like they'll like do an injection and then they'll sort of, you know, kind of get the benefits of that and then hope that it'll you know, last a long time. And for some people, you know, they, they may just be going through a difficult period and maybe they just need that one blast to kind of rip them out of it and and they can kind of, you know, get back to normal functioning. Um, But for other people, you know, uh, unfortunately that that just doesn't always, always happen. So having like a small amount, that's like continuous is what I do. So Hmm. some of my patients will take it uh, once a week. So I will take it, you know, last once a month, but I have other patients that take it, you know, two or three times a week, just, just a low dose. Um, and that seems to be, you know, incredibly efficacious overall for, for treating depression and also, uh, for treating chronic pain, but I would say more efficacious for, um, for, for depression and mental health and for chronic pain.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: And just one more thing on that too. I know I mentioned it briefly, but like SSRI selective serotonin, reuptake inhibitors, like classically, like people will say, you know, this is going to take four to six weeks to work. Might take, take three to six months, that kind of thing. Um, which can be very, very frustrating, especially if someone, you know, is like suicidal, you know, they need something right away. Um, you know, the ketamine, like I said, you know, it works generally within 24 hours or less people generally uh, tend to notice like a difference in their overall demeanor.
1: Hmm. Um what neurotransmitters does ketamine work on? It's not cause they use it as a tranquilizer yeah, for surgery, so. right?
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. So it's an NMDA receptor antagonist. So it has a very very different oh, okay. mechanism of action than, um, than than the other medicines. And also to like ketamine often gets uh, grouped as as a psychedelic, but it, technically it's not a psychedelic. Now the reason that it does get grouped as psychedelic is because you know you do get quite dissociated. Um, it is quite psychoactive, and it does produce hmm. you know a lot of similar beneficial effects psychedelics and in, in terms of improving overall mental health, but you know, it, it is actually a, a, a psychedelic, um, or sorry, a, uh, a, a, a uh, a, a anesthetic, sorry. So that's why, um, you know, people do get that very, very dissociative, um, type of, uh, feeling when they use it. And also too, it does have a completely different mechanism of action. So all the, um, classic psychedelics, like psilocybin, like they would act on the five HD two a receptor. So, uh, ketamine does something that's you know, completely different.
1: Wow. And so does that end up because it works on NMDA versus, so it doesn't work on GABA or serotonin,
0: right? Like, like indirectly it does, but, but it doesn't work specifically on those receptors.
1: So does that make it less likely to be dependency forming or
0: dependent? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, like it, it can, you know, you can, you still can develop a dependence on ketamine, but it's very, very, uh, it's, 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 I don't have any patients that have become dependent on it, but it that wow. way. I've been doing it for you know three years now. And people say that when they stop taking it, you know, they they don't get the benefit of the medicine anymore, but they certainly don't feel like they need ketamine or like or like they need it right now or that they feel addicted or dependent on it.
1: Wow. I've never heard of it being taken by capsule. I've just heard about these like high dose infusions that cause hallucinations really for a lot of people. That's interesting.
0: I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I guess you could uh, look at the way that I prescribe ketamine as the way that, um, you know, people do say microdosing with psilocybin, so yeah. you know it's not in your best interest to you know take uh, you know five grams, you know the Terence McKenna heroic dose of five grams or more of, of psilocybin, and you know um, and 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 think that everything is just going to be you know okay. I mean, you may have a wonderful experience, but you know you you, you may not, right? But for um, microdosing, you know a lot of people do tend to do pretty good. With that, not everybody, but a lot of people do. So for ketamine, you know, some people you may respond very well to that you know big blast infusion of ketamine, but some people may respond to just a low dose of of ketamine, you know, a couple times a week, almost as like a microdose.
1: That sounds a lot safer. I know a few people who had absolutely horrifying experiences with high dose ketamine, Um, so that sounds like a good idea just to even test out.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And I mean, my patients have done, you know, really, really well with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very safe medicine when you take it, uh, you know, appropriately and safely. And when you use the right dose, um, and, you know, I hope that, you know, it becomes a little bit more mainstream in, in the future.
1: Yeah. Why do you think it's not? That's really interesting because I can see how, like, I know I had ketamine once when I had, um, my hip injected, um, when I was a kid, they gave an infusion of ketamine, and I was still awake, but I was like calm. And I can remember feeling what it was like and being like, "Okay, I'm calm, right?" So I can see how microdosing that could make somebody calmer. Why wouldn't that be more of a mainstream treatment, given the fact that it doesn't work on neurotransmitters that are going to cause severe addiction? Com- you know, compared to say GABA or serotonin. Why isn't it more mainstream?
0: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, on my first thought on that is that, you know, I think most of the research on ketamine has come out in the last 10 or 12 years. I don't think there yes. was as much research on it done done before. Um, so that'd be, you know, the, the main reason why some people just, I think are very uncomfortable with prescribing something that is a little bit psychoactive and you do have to be careful about, um, you know, and when I say psychoactive, I mean, I know that, you know, SSRIs and and some ways psychoactive. So like, but psychoactive and like dissociative, you know, so some people are just sort of like apprehensive about using that. And some people just don't want, you know, that kind of big change overall in their, in their, in their behavior, or in their, or in their brain you know, when they're using a medicine. (laughs) um but you know I think that it will change in in the future and there is a a, uh, a product now in in uh, in the states called escamine that's been approved that's an intranasal mm. um use of oh, I've acidity. heard of
1: that yeah yeah yeah
0: so so I do think that it is becoming more and more popular now I just think that we need probably more um, physicians to become comfortable in, in howing to use it and that I think more physicians need to be comfortable and using it as say like a capsule for as like a microdose kind of thing like i'm like i'm doing as opposed to like you know this can only be used um with a big blast of it as in an iv where you need yeah. you know, nurses and and uh you know you need people to watch your vitals and all that like you don't need that when you're doing a very low dose
1: this episode was sponsored by paleo valley collagen is like the glue that holds our body together It's a non-negotiable. Run too low and tiny lines and wrinkles start popping up everywhere. Then everyone knows you're low on collagen. Extremely embarrassing. Paleo Valley's bone broth protein is the best and tastiest way to get the collagen you need in your diet. The bones are simmered in filtered water, no added chemicals whatsoever. It's pesticide free and made with 100% grass fed and finished bones. You can add it to smoothies, baked dishes, coffee, or to j- just mix it with hot water and a bit of pepper for a super healthy snack. I just drink it hot with salt, ton of salt. Some collagen tastes like absolute garbage. So don't just buy any collagen because some they're absolutely repulsive. This stuff is great. It's like tastes like bone broth that you'd wanna eat. they 100% grass fed beef sticks are also something to check out if you need a snack and you're trying to lose weight, not snack on Doritos or something like that. I can't eat them because of my diet that I'm still trying to, trying to expand here. But, but everyone I know who's tried them loves them. If you're cu- curious to try them yourself, I have good news. They're having a sale right now at paleovalley.com. Just use code MP for 15% off your first order of Paleo Valley's Amazing Bone Broth or Beef Sticks. That's paleovalley.com, code MP for 15% off. So how is it that you're into all this more alternative medicine, as a, as an actual doctor, you know, you're not a naturopath, you're an actual doctor. Do you ever get concerned that anyone's going to go after you for, I think you started the first cannabis clinic? Mm, yeah. So are, are you worried about people being, even this ketamine treatment is pretty new. So yeah. do you have any anxieties over being kind of at the forefront?
0: I mean, definitely apprehensive and you definitely have to be very, very careful about prescribing it. So, you know, I have uh, a pretty detailed um, agreement form between myself and, and my patients with regards to, you know, taking ketamine and them understanding, you know, all the negative effects that. Um, that can be associated with it. But, um, you know, I mean, realistically, like any adult right now in Canada can go into a dispensary and buy, you know, 25% THC and like, you know, that's going to cause a much more psychoactive effect than, you know, a low dose of, of uh, ketamine. So, you know, I just kind (laughs) of look at it as like, you know, this is something that um, you know, it has its risks and it has its benefits, but the way that I'm doing it, you know, I'm certainly minimizing all of, um, the risk, you know, you can't obviously eliminate it completely, but I am, you know, maximizing the benefits I think, um, as well. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, more physicians, you know, uh, recognize ketamine is a really good treatment option for people with mental health disorders.
1: Interesting. Okay. Well, glad we got that into the podcast. That was interesting. That was interesting. Um, Let me see. I have a whole bunch of questions here, but I'm going to choose them carefully.
0: Well, I'm happy to answer all of them if we have time.
1: Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. This is an area that I really don't know very much about because I I think what I learned was anything I had an issue with, which was a lot of things. So it was like, oh, I'm on a whole bunch of medications. So I'm kind of more familiar about what medications are in autoimmunity. And then my mom had cancer and then psych illnesses. So like all that, I never learned about hormone optimization at all. Thank goodness I guess, right? But can we get into that a little bit? Like I know that you do work on testosterone and those the hormones interested me more because that seems like less like a a drug and more of something to adjust to bring you back to a baseline. What do you recommend? Maybe let's start with what do you recommend people check for? Let's start with men. What do you recommend men check for to optimize their hormones? Well, I think
0: every man after forty, probably even before forty, should have um, a total testosterone and a free testosterone test done. So it's really important that you get the free testosterone test done because um, your total testosterone is mostly bound, and because it's bound, it's actually not free; it's not available to the tissues. So when you ask your doctor, you know, to to check your hormones, you definitely want to ask them to not only just get a total, but also will get um, a free because the free is going to be um, the one that's going to tell you, you know, how much testosterone is actually active in your tissues and it's not bound up. Um, but that's a really good place. Um, to to a start, you know a, a a TSH is always great too. You know uh, which tests for your thyroid. Um, I tend to test for three for a free T three and a free T four as well, um, just to make sure that those hormones are optimized. So those are part of the um, thyroid hormones. So generally speaking, uh, the medication that's given for uh, thyroid re- replacement. Um, is level uh, thyroxine. So that's like a pure T4. And now your T4 does get converted into T3. So, you know, a lot of people just take um, T4 itself. But every now and then you do get a patient who, uh, you know, doesn't get a good conversion of T4 to T3 and those, and those, so for those patients, you may need to use something called a desiccated thyroid, which has a little bit of T3 in it. And then, you know, patients can kind of, mm. um, you know, get, uh, be, be treated that way. Um, and then just coming back to the, um, testosterone. So generally speaking, I offer patients a couple different options. The biggest ones are, um, injections and, and creams. So when you have the injection, um, you know, the benefit of that is that you're only doing it twice a week generally. Um, so, you know, I shouldn't just mention one thing on that, like on testosterone, even right on the bottle, like it'll say like 200 milligrams every two weeks, which is ridiculous because, you know, you're going to feel like Superman for two or three days and then it's going to level off. And that last week, you're basically going to feel like shit. So you you really need to, uh, try to, you know, minimize the the highs and lows. So I find that uh and I find even if you're given it you know once a week versus two times a week, I mean it's still it's a lot better, but it's still not perfect. So I actually find you know injecting it twice a week intramuscularly is 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 uh is a good way to do it. Um and most patients that um I see will use somewhere between 50 to 70 micrograms of dose. So usually between hundred to 140 micrograms a week usually 120 is, is a really good dose for for most men in terms of optimizing their testosterone but not 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 uh, pushing it like out, out of range um but the second option too with regards to uh, treating, is um, creams. So you can get compounded creams. You can get just the like the generic like Andrew gel cream, and then that can be put on daily. And so because it's put on daily, then you're getting a very very even dose. Um, the only thing with that is that you know, it does have to be put on daily. So people do you know sometimes forget. Um, the other thing is, I mean, it's very very minimal. It's overblown like um, for the most part, but there is some uh, you know chance that you could transfer. For it to someone else, if you put it on your arm and then you hug someone else, or that kind of thing. So, you know, I find that a lot of patients who have like young kids are really, really apprehensive about using it for that reason. Yeah, um, and then it's oh, just wife. like, yeah, 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 and then it's just like inconvenient if you want to, you know, like get a shower, or jump into a pool after or whatever. You know, so um, those are generally the the, the different options for um, for men.
1: How frequent, like, do you all men? Does testosterone lower for all men after 40 or are there dietary things you can do to increase it? Or is it just going to hit everybody?
0: so it definitely starts to decrease um actually even by like 27 or 28 you'll start to know it'll, it'll start to decrease slightly and then by 40 ah, women,
1: see aha so it's not just women
0: it's not just women <laughs> it's not just women but um and i'll get back to that in a second just on that note for w- women uh also have testosterone just like men do and um that's where a woman's sex drive comes from as well you know it's it's from uh, testosterone and you know i do have some women who take a Low dose of testosterone, not only just for their sex drive, but also just for um their general energy and, and motivation and kind of just it sounds helping. kind of fun. Yeah. It's gonna
1: increase, yeah. Make you a little more argumentative.
0: Yeah, you, I, I could, I could, I could, you could definitely over. do that. Yeah, and probably a little bit just more like general confidence, I guess you could say. And then if you have more confidence sounds wonderful. You, you'd probably be uh, you know, sounds like you're gonna you're gonna want some. <laughs>
1: But what what are the downsides here? Is my voice going to lower? Am I going to get hair? Well, bigger?
0: there definitely are downsides for, for women. And yeah, like those are the, the main things you, you, you just mentioned. You can have hair growth, uh, your, your voice can change and then you can have changes even to your genitalia. And the oh, problem with that okay. is that it can be more like permanent. So like if you, um, use like girls, like who are really into bodybuilding, but they've used like a high dose of, of testosterone. Like they will get changes to their genitalia, but they, anything with like hair growth, things like that, then that generally just, you know, goes away as soon as you stop using it.
1: Wow. Interesting. So I don't want to get into the whole trans debate too much because I'm going to be getting into that in an episode oh, it's later.
0: It's all good. We can get into that too if you want.
1: Okay. 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 Is that what, is testosterone um, what they're giving like girls who want to transition to be boys? Is it testosterone?
0: So first of all, I'm not like a trans doctor, but you know, from my understanding, I mean, that would you know obviously be the treatment of choice is to, you know, okay. give, um, you know, a, a woman who wants to be a man would be to give her testosterone because there's no way you'd be able to, you know, get like, a you know, the beard growth and, and just kind of have mm. those general, um, kind of masculine features. If you, if you were, you know, didn't have any, any testosterone.
1: So I wonder if you would, that's like, I wonder if you give that to like a, a younger girl, would that initially feel good? Um, like the tech, just cause you, what you explained was everything uh, in your life improves, but you kind of turn into a man. So yeah. is that, so do you take it and you're like, yeah, okay. I feel better. Well,
0: I mean, there's there's risks and benefits, and there's obviously side effects to to everything, right? So, a cane. A lot of people, when they do take initially, yes, they feel way better, and if they're on the right dose, you know, they stay on that dose. But if someone's taking too high the dose of of testosterone, like yeah, they sure they might have you know a ton of um, self confidence and a ton of energy and that kind of thing. But you know, they, they can uh, become a little bit angry or even a little bit more irritable. Um, so you know, you do have to be very very careful. And you want to make sure that if you, you know, do hormone replacement therapy that you see a doctor and you get your, your, uh, your levels checked and that you dose appropriately.
1: Yeah. I wasn't trying to turn it into a hormone replacement therapy. (laughs) Yeah. It feels great. Go ahead do it. Okay. Thyroid, testosterone, that's interesting. Okay, what do you recommend, then I'll ask another question, Mm -hmm. Uh, for like the average woman, Mm -hmm. what kind of panel do you recommend them running to figure out hormone optimization? okay
0: really good question so um again uh one thing with with women and a lot of people don't um you know uh, recognize this is you want to test all the different um estrogen hormones so there's actually three different estrogen hormones it's not just one So like testosterone is testosterone like i know it through you know testosterone and free testosterone but that's just test. It's the same hormone. Um, But for estrogen, you have uh, estrone. so So like one, estradiol, and then you have estriol. So there's three different hormones. So in terms of hormone replacement therapy, I don't use any estrone because estrone has very little benefit um and it uh and it is associated with 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 cancers and when you look at e2 or estradiol there's an incredible amount of of benefit um but there is a you know a little bit increased risk for for cancers so you have to be careful wow. with that and then for estriol it's it's there's not as much benefit as the estradiol but it almost seems to be like protective against some some, some cancers so you know i use only the e2 an E3 in a, in a specific ratio when I'm uh, prescribing for, for women. And then also, too, um, you have to get your progesterone uh, checked because if you take estrogen without progesterone, unopposed um uh um progesterone, then so just taking the estrogen, you can actually increase your risk for cancer. But if you take mm. E2 and E3 and then you take um progesterone, then all that yeah. risk is basically minimized. And and women wow. do like incredibly, incredibly well on it. And like, there's nothing you can, like, like you said earlier, like it is a more natural treatment. Like all you're doing is just putting something back into your body that was already there before. And like, nothing's going to take away hot flashes for a woman, for a woman more than say, estrogen replacement therapy, hormone replacement therapy. Like it's, it's, it's incredibly efficacious and, and same for insomnia. And you like, it's not just the, um, you know, the hot flashes that keep women out. Sometimes it just happens, you In general, when they're when they're uh, going through menopause, and that can be so helpful.
1: <laughs> Being a female is the worst. Like I see I can see how no, I enjoy being a woman. That's not true. And we can have babies and that's awesome. But like I guess that's right. where feminists are coming from. That's menopause?
0: the thing You guys have the babies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's pretty cool. So, I guess I wouldn't give that away. But I mean, menopause seems like a bad deal. Um yeah. do any of the, do any of the hormone replacement therapies give side effects like um birth control made me completely nuts. So can they have side effects like birth control?
0: Absolutely. They can all have, you know, horrible side effects. I mean, like I said, you take too much testosterone, your genitalia is going to grow. That's a pretty bad side effect. You're going to have hair on your face. You're probably not going to leave your house. Right. So, um, you take too much progesterone. Sometimes it can make you way too tired. Uh, you know, you take too much thyroid, you can get super anxious and that can increase heart rate Mm. and blood pressure. It can be pretty dangerous overall. Um, so, you know, there's, tons of side effects with with hormones you just need to make sure that you know you speak to someone who's you know fairly experienced with it and um and who you know knows what they're doing and 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 wants to you know do that that kind of medicine you know it's not something that you want to just sort of you know play around with because um like i said incredibly beneficial but it can be incredibly detrimental too
1: Have you noticed dietary changes, changing people's hormones or if you're low in one? Okay. Okay.
0: yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah. So if you, uh, you know, if you have a, a diet and a lifestyle where, you know, you're eating like very few calories and, you know, you're doing like really high intensity cardio all the time, that tends to be associated more with like lower testosterone. But if you eat more, say like more of a balanced diet and you go to the gym and you, and you, uh, do resistance training, and that's going to be associated more with like a higher testosterone level. But hmm. in terms of like diet itself, um, there's probably other lifestyle factors that may influence it. Um, your your hormone levels, your testosterone say more than than, than others. Um, sleep being a very, very big one. So if you sleep poorly, that's really associated with low testosterone. So um, that's, that's one thing. And then also too, there's something called um, sex hormone binding globulin. And so just coming back to the total and free testosterone. So if you have um, a really high level of that, and then what's going to happen is that's going to bind all your testosterone, and then you're going to have low free testosterone And one thing that I've seen one human study anyway, that shows that, um, if you do have this issue, you take boron, boron can actually lower your, your SHGB. And then that will in turn increase your overall free testosterone. That's so there are definitely cool. some things that that you can do to um manipulate it. Um Andrew Huberman, who you're probably familiar yeah. with, um, he has a couple supplements that he recommends. Um, one of them is uh Tonga Ali, which can increase overall um testosterone. The is that a mushroom?
1: The, that was a, like a guess. I have no idea what it is. Is it a mushroom?
0: No, it's uh it's it's some kind of herb. Um I wouldn't really okay. know how to classify it more than that. And then the second one that he recommends I I think is um Facedex. I'm 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 a lot less familiar with that one, but and, um the Tonga Alley, like that's in every kind of like um natural uh testosterone kind of booster that you'd see at Popeyes or any kind of like, you know, health food supplement sort of
1: store. That's cool. So should people try that type of thing? Oh, okay. Wait, no, cancel that question. I'm not interested in that question anymore. Um, what happens if you're a young person and your testosterone is really fine, but you're like, Hey, I've been watching podcasts and there are all these men on testosterone and maybe I want a little bit of extra testosterone. Is there anything wrong with that? Or is that a bad idea? Um,
0: I don't think it's like a bad idea to want to optimize your hormones. All I would say is that, you know, what you want to do is you want to measure it, you know? And I, I know I keep saying that in this podcast over and over, but like, that's the best way to get things done. Because if you don't measure, you're basically just kind of like guessing. Now, when I say that, you know, you should sort of intuitively, try to be aware and know, you know, when your testosterone is high and when it's low. And I mean, I think most people, you know, know that like, if you don't feel like having sex ever, like you should kind of say to yourself, okay, it's kind of weird, like something's going on here. Mm. Um, but you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong. Like say if you're, you know, in your 20s or your 30s and you know, you're feeling that way to get your levels checked and then to take, you know, a more of a, of a natural product, like something like Tongkat Alley. And if it, you know, boosts you up and makes you feel a little, Little bit better, and you feel like your you know your workouts are better. You feel more confident, and you know you feel like your uh, libido is better. You're performing better in bed, or whatever like that. And you know, go for it. I mean, I th- I think there's there's um, there's there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Cool. Is there a downside if you start taking it? Like if you start taking testosterone when you're young, do you have to continue forever?
0: Generally speaking, when you take testosterone, um, you know, people do tend to take it forever. That being said, um, like I have guys who say, you know, I, they they say, you know, I don't want to, um, or sorry, like, I want to take testosterone, you know, I don't want to have kids, it's like, so let's just kind of, you know, go ahead and, and, and do this. And then a couple of years later, they say, you know what, now I really actually do want to have kids. So, you know, just something you can do. Um, so there is, and I have a very specific protocol that I use. Um, and it's just 45 days where I use Clomid, um, HCG and Novodex. So three different drugs, uh, over 45 days. It's a specific protocol. And like, I've had guys joke, that like, hey man, very first day I I I I got her pregnant on like the forty fifth day, you know, when, when the when the cycle is over. So you know, there are ways God. back to uh, to to do that. And I've had guys too that are like. They've abused testosterone for like nine years. Uh, couldn't, you know, they're married, couldn't get their their wife pregnant, you know, which is obviously horrible. Uh, I've seen them put them on this regimen and bang, they have like two kids, you know. So um that's how what happened. is this
1: what did you say those medications were?
0: So HCG, um, Novadex, oh, okay, okay. Novidex, and Clomid
1: okay i haven't heard of any of those
0: human korean canadotropin that, that yeah have, so yeah that's kind of funny because um yeah, what guys can take it and then they can take a pregnancy test and be fine <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good party trick if you're if you're doing it, wow. if you, someone and, on it <laughs> you can probably play some pretty some pretty cool you. tricks with that
1: Oh, that's fun. That's the only takeaway that anyone needs from this episode.
0: I agree. I agree. (laughs) Um,
1: can you put people on that protocol who haven't abused testosterone? Like, is that useful just for,
0: yeah, no, it's, it it can definitely, I mean, it would be more considered to be like an off label thing, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like say if someone, you know, is in their twenties or thirties and they're kind of like down in the dumps and they say if their testosterone is like, low normal, then maybe that's something that they could initiate and do like if they're in like the normal range or high range, like, you know, it's probably not going to make much of a difference. It probably wouldn't be a good protocol to initiate them, but like if someone's low normal and, uh, and they just want to, you know, increase their testosterone, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, giving that a try.
1: Huh? Interesting. Okay. Um, maybe last question then, um, how do you feel about HGH?
0: HGH can be super helpful for, for some people. The only thing with that is that, you know, it's it has the same issue with, um, as like testosterone does with like women, like meaning that some of the side effects, yes, if you stop HGH, it'll stop like that day or, or the next day kind of thing, you know, it'll be very, very short term, but other, uh, other things like, um, like in terms of like organ growth, like that's permanent. So like you see these like massive, like bodybuilders on stage and you know, like, why? Is this guy's like intestine like protruding out of of his body oh, and it's like it's God. because like it doesn't just like increase the size of like your muscles it increases the size of like everything so it can be a really, really effective drug, um, and like people who are low in, in, in HGH, you know, when they take a good dose, it can really make a dramatic, like a dramatic difference in their overall well-being and their life in terms of like recovery, well-being, mood, that that kind of thing. But again, you do have to be very, very careful with it.
1: So HGH grows all your organs, so that's why people have big stomachs on stage, or just yeah. like blow. Wow, why would you take it then? Do you because
0: like, do people all, know this? <laughs> I think so. I think, you know, some of those guys, I guess it's, it's their job. It's their profession. It's their only means of income. So they just kind of accept the risk, I guess. Um, it wouldn't be a risk that I'll be willing to accept. Um, and I don't think it's a risk that they should accept, but I guess that's the logic behind why, why they don't you know, continue to to do that.
1: That's crazy. Can you get, can't you uh, raise your HGH levels by fasting?
0: There is some evidence for that. Like, I don't think it's going to be like drastic, um, but there, there is some evidence for that. I don't know though, if it's like, um, you know, if you could get the same benefit even just from like caloric restriction. And uh okay. and like I've done you know this before where like intermittent fasting and things like that. And I just did a podcast on this recently, but it seems like if you eat the same amount of calories over a 24-hour period or an eight-hour period. Um, you know, overall, and I know there's more to it than, than just calories, but that is a very important metric. But if you just like equate the calories, whether it's 24 hours or eight hours, so you know, regular eating versus time restricted eating or intermittent fasting, you seem to get the exact same results o- overall. But the thing is is that if you're someone who, you know, does uh, much better in that eight hour window. And that gives you the discipline to like, you know, not eat right in the morning and not eat late at night, then you should continue doing that. Like if you have something that works and it works for you, like continue to do that diet, but I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily like magical about it over say calorie um, restriction.
1: Okay. Mike, uh, you have your own podcast. So what is that called and where can people go to learn more about you?
0: So it's called uh, Heart to Heart, and it's on Spotify, you know Stitcher, Apple, YouTube, uh, all places where, where, where podcasts are. Uh, you can you know, learn more about me online. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's all Dr. Mike Hart, D-R-M-I-K-E-H-A-R-T. And I have a website, MikeHartMD.com. You can find out more about me too. Beautiful.
1: Thank you very much for coming on.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. It was a a pleasure. And uh, I hope you have uh, a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. You too.